Aljazeera podcast. A double disaster unfolding in Syria. A devastating earthquake and the legacy of a brutal civil war. The UN says almost 9 million people in the war-torn country have been impacted by the earthquake. Nearly 6,000 people have died so far. Over 10,000 were injured. And those numbers, they're changing every hour. Hello and welcome everyone to the Essential Middle East podcast. I'm Sami Zaydan. Before we go to our guest, I want to tell you about a Syrian refugee I ran into randomly in the street outside a bakery in the Turkish city of Kahraman Marash, the epicenter of the second major earthquake. Now, he, like many other Syrians, were first displaced by the war in Syria, and then he's been displaced again by the earthquake. It's an early morning in Kahraman Marash, still plenty of destruction everywhere. I've also noticed that people are out queuing up at a bakery to try and get their morning bread. Let's see if we can talk to someone and ask them what's happening here. I'm from Syria. Yes, I came here because of the war. I lived here for 11 years. I'm waiting to buy morning bread. There's a shortage in bakeries. There's only this one and another one down there. They're both crowded. Everyone here is waiting for their turn. My home was damaged. I'm waiting for the authorities to come and evaluate the situation. The return to our homes is granted upon their decision. I live in a tent. The state has given us tents and we're living there. A devastating earthquake, those who survived are battling for their daily lives. They lack almost every aspect of human living. The head of the United Nations Emergency Relief Operations, Martin Griffiths, says the international community has failed people of northwest Syria, where thousands have died in the earthquakes that struck. That's a sentiment felt by many Syrians in opposition-held areas. Aid and politics intertwined. Syria did not get the same attention. Here in Syria, you don't see the international rescue teams. You don't see an international aid effort to help. Aid was slow to trickle in. The Syrian opposition is blaming the UN for the slow response and for waiting on permission from the Syrian government. People here are angry because they're saying, why does the United Nations or the world have to wait for an approval from the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad? People here do not consider him a legitimate leader, but a brutal dictator. A week after the disaster, the Syrian president agreed to allow aid in from two border crossings with Turkey, which are not under his government's control. President Bashar al-Assad took aim at the West. The West prioritized politics over the humanitarian situation. This is wrong to give priority to one situation over another, as long as both exist. The political situation exists to them, but the humanitarian doesn't to the West. The Syrian opposition says Assad is trying to make political gains. Well, let's unfold all of this now with our guest. This is Dr. Bey Sakin. I'm the country director for Human Appeal Turkey and I'm here connecting from Gaziantep. 
Good to have you with us, Dr. Abed. First of all, give us a sense of how vast the damage is across Syria. Obviously, this is much bigger than what we are seeing in the images and videos. It's not possible to really witness and comprehend the damage the earthquake left unless you personally visit the sites. Our information about Syria is limited, at least from Gaziantep, to what's happening in northwest Syria. We know there is a lot of damage to the city of Jinderes. Some say it is leveled, and from my visits to periphery of it, this argument might as well be true. Other than this, we know there is a lot of damage to the city of Idlib, Idlib city center, at least to north parts of it. And because of which now the reports are saying 20,000 more people might be homeless, in addition to, of course, millions that had been living out of their houses due to the protracted civil war. And how do people feel when you go to some of these areas in Syria? What's their sentiment? Do they blame the international community? Several NGOs, local community leaders and NGOs have voiced their anger towards the late arrival and actually not complete arrival of international aid to this day. And some of them are particularly blaming the UN for taking a long time to send aid. And what we can say, the level of international aid that has arrived to Syria, northwest Syria, is very limited. So definitely there is some anger. What's delayed the aid? What slowed it down? There are several reasons for this. First of all, the aid actually arrived to Damascus much quicker than it did to northwest Syria. However, there's little evidence that this aid reached northwest Syria. Apart from this, some of the main reasons that I can list that the NGOs that are normally organizing the international aid to Syria, to northwest Syria, also been impacted by this earthquake. So it would be fair to say that the reaction time was delayed by their side as well, because some of their staff losing their homes, some of them even lives. And the second reason that I can say, apart from, of course, Damascus's reaction to this, that the roads that are leading to Babel Hawa, the only crossing for international aid, had been also damaged. Another reason is that the local stocks, when the NGOs came together, collected themselves, and then when they wanted to obtain some stocks and send it to Syria, the local stocks within these cities were drained by what happened in Turkey. The calamity was of unspeakable levels in Turkey as well. One of the main reasons of why they happened is having only one border crossing to Syria from Turkey, which is Babel Hawa. It's from January 2020 onwards, we only had Babel Hawa, and this border crossing has been threatened every six months. Maybe you could explain that to listeners, Dr. Abade. Why can another border crossing not be opened quickly at a time of crisis? There is a technical side to this because the cross-border operations of the UN and following that, of course, within the umbrella of that us INGOs and NGOs is dependent on the United Nations Security Council resolution. Before 2020, we had at least from Turkey two cross-borders allowances, but then China and Russia vetoed and January 10, 2020, opening the Babu Senan cross-border, and we had only one cross-border. But now there are two reasons, we, two ways we can open this cross-border. Either the host country would allow such passing of trucks from its neighboring country to its own territory, or there should be a United Nations Security Council resolution. Of course, this is the reason why international aid could not just choose using another cross-border. Were other countries refusing to open up their national borders? 
In this stage, we did not see a direct invitation. The United Nations Secretary General had to take initiative, and following that, actually, Martin Griffiths had to speak to Assad to offer him opening of another border gate. The Syrian government didn't exactly announce as soon as the earthquake hit that all border gates could be used. That's how it happened. So from the first moment onwards, we did not have two border crossings. And I'm sure you have witnessed that both the UN officials and other NGOs celebrating opening of the second cross-border because this route to Bab Salam has not been affected as much as Bab al-Hawa did. And it is much easier to logistically manage supply chain from this road. So it took, unfortunately, until, if I'm not mistaken, 13th of February, for this other border crossing to open, which of course delayed the international aid. And this is where it gets really interesting though, Dr. Abay, because not all of Syria's borders and border crossings are controlled by the government in Damascus. So why would one need to wait for the Syrian government to give permission? There is a technical reason for this. In the end of the day, regardless of the civilian war and the violence that had occurred in Syria, who is the government in Syria? Now, as far as the UN is concerned and the international community is concerned, Damascus is still recognized by the international community as far as countries are concerned, the government. So it requires its allowance for the UN to cross further to its territory. But of course, it would not be accurate to say that no organizations try to use either of the gates or try to pass maybe small amounts of aid that the NGOs registered in Turkey across Syria. I'm sure that they were successful in doing so, but these small initiatives cannot really respond to what was needed. To an extent, it was a matter of the UN and international organizations not wanting to make any moves to access Syria through borders that might be seen as overstepping the legitimacy, the sovereignty of the government in Damascus. That's the only explanation there is, and it is in line with many legal documents that should not be ideally flow of international aid, but that's the fact in the end. Of today, UN is an intergovernmental organization is bound by its regulation. And the INGOs may, from their own funds, I should express here, unless they are using UN funds, they may take certain initiatives to use other borders, of course, as long as there's flow of aid in these times of emergency. However, UN aid is essential because of its vast resources to be present at its full capacity for NGOs and INGOs. So that's purely because of the legal status. There's a lot of politics to this, but the main line is about a question of sovereignty and who really has the right to open the borders. That's a really sad fact because ultimately what that boils down to is that people were suffering, perhaps even dying, going hungry, going without shelter because of politics, right? Definitely, we do not want any parties taking decisions based on any political motives or based on a story of conflict between any parties. In times of these, what matters is well-being of individuals, human beings, and the sooner we bring them aid, the better chance they will survive, especially in an earthquake that caused huge destruction and many thousands of people under the rubble. This is a fight against every second. So every single delay may cause, unfortunately, loss of another individual. It's not only a second border opening or not that caused this, but also Turkey itself and its bordering town to the only open cross-border was also damaged. So this shows us that this allowance from the government is only for three months. So 
our advocacy is that this should be permanently open. As long as the people need aid in northwest Syria, there should be at least two border gates. And this has always been the stand of those and INGOs involved in helping northwest Syria. All right, that's an interesting point, but hold that thought. We'll be back right after this break. This week on The Take, Turkey, still reeling from two major earthquakes, moves from search and rescue to recovery. We ask who and what is left and what might be lost forever. All right, welcome back, everyone. Now, I also want to ask you, what about the divisions between opposition groups? Does that complicate things when it comes down to getting aid into the northern rebel-held part of Syria? I cannot say I have witnessed anything to suggest that in this particular disaster. However, on the field, we see our, from our security briefs, at certain times there are these conflicts between, especially in the line where Afrin and Idlib is divided. Maybe this is also because there wasn't actually much aid to distribute to Northwest Syria. So what happened until this day is apart from a dozen trucks that came as an international convoy of aid, the NGOs utilized their own stocks in the region. So it is the border cross, Babel Hawa was always open, and I have witnessed myself many trucks passing, but it's really hard to say that this amount would meet the needs. This is not the number of trucks that are passing to Syria was probably not higher than the number of trucks passing before earthquake. So this doesn't really make sense. The numbers have to intensify. So why aren't the numbers intensifying? Is this down to logistics because there's only two border crossings open? Or is it down to something else? We could say half of it is logistics, definitely. But now it would be hard to say that at least the basic items are not available in Turkey. But the roads, as I said, were broken. But the second issue is that we did not yet see although we know it will happen very soon, allocation of funds for NGOs to utilize and bring relief items to Syria. That's another matter. Hang on, who has to allocate those funds? These funds we are waiting from international donors, you could say, different countries who are pledging normally either to UN or to their own agencies or other NGOs. So the main donor, obviously, being the UN in the region, all NGOs or NGOs, they have their own donors as well from different countries. So for them to be systematically worked, the local humanitarian system that was hampered to some extent because of this earthquake, as I have explained, because it was hit by the earthquake as well, it lost its members, have to come back and organize itself. So we can understand who should do what in what region to avoid duplication mm -hmm. of efforts and to use the whatever funds available efficiently. So one of the main reasons the humanitarians in this particular disaster who are based in Gaziantep and who are actually running the cross-border operations are also victims of this earthquake. For instance, I myself had to sleep six days in a row in my car while trying to run a humanitarian efforts of my own organization. The same thing goes for my staff, 30 of us sleeping in our cars and whenever we can, we meet or through our phones trying to run the operation. So it's not really easy to do this, especially in where we have to work in compliance with a lot of regulations. Okay, what about the government in Damascus? If it doesn't want its sovereignty as it sees it violated by people making 
decisions without its permission. Is it providing aid? What kind of aid? Is it able even to provide aid all throughout the country? From my and my team's observation, we did not see a cross-line aid coming where we operate, basically in Idlib and Sarmada and periphery of Idlib. We just did not from the center, from Damascus. We know many planes landed there from Iraq, from Iran, and even Saudi Arabia. However, this aid is not, the reports also suggest, did not reach Northwest Syria. Again, the information we receive from that part, at least from Gaziantep, I can say, is limited. However, some of the reports that are coming to our inbox show that Aleppo and parts of Damascus, this aid was distributed. But we need to acknowledge most of the people, vulnerable people, more than 4 million of them are living in Idlib, in rebel areas. The statement of Damascus was it will distribute aid, but it will not let it fall into the hands of quotation marks, terrorist organizations. But how about these 4 million people? We cannot say in Northwest Syria, all these 4 million people are somehow related to any armed groups. And that's actually, this would not be an accurate statement. True, especially when you look at some of those stats for those millions of people in the North, 90% of the population there lives below the poverty line. It's a very desperate situation. Definitely. And we know, too, since the beginning of the war, almost 400,000 people died and 5.6 million are refugees outside of Syria. And we know now 6.7 million people became IDPs and which of more than 4 million are living in Northwest Syria. We know that children are out of school and the number says 2.4 million children cannot go to school. And the statistics go along and at least 2 million of them, as we know, are living at extreme poverty levels. So in a situation like this, politics should be left aside and we should focus on the needs of vulnerable people. And this was before even the earthquake, right? Why wasn't enough aid and support going in before the earthquake hit? It would be unfair to say that the efforts by the UN or international community did not really focus on the needs before the earthquake. We are talking about the criticism here is not actually international aid is not arriving there, but not arriving on time, particularly to this earthquake. During this earthquake, what happened afterwards? There is focus, but the need is grave. But it wasn't sufficient, though. And I'm asking, why was that the case? It definitely is not sufficient because we are talking about many millions of people and actually the number is not staying, the number is not constant, right? There are new babies born, there are children coming to school age and so on. But the infrastructure in the region where these people are trapped and the resources very limited. It is, and the development projects are not possible to implement. And previously, whatever development projects were implemented, we did not see hot conflict for some time now. Whenever we, there was some development, there were missiles hitting those missiles and renewed armed conflict destroying these developments as well. If we are asking the question whether we can establish a sustainable economy, sustainable development in this area where people, where the needs will decrease eventually and eventually they will become zero, definitely there should be some sort of peace so people can invest in this area. It is not realistic to think that the in international community can constantly provide humanitarian aid to this many million people in a manner that they can reach to every single person, although that's, mm. that's the goal that we have for ourselves, definitely. But then it didn't happen for the last decade. 
Now that aid is starting to pick up for Syria, what do people need today? The most grave need is a shelter. This is actually correct for both Syria and Turkey. Tents, whatever was reserved, has been utilized. However, there is also another problem that maybe we should mention, that Syrians, they no longer want tents. Because Syria becoming turning into a tent country, it's not productive. People living in tents, you cannot expect them to attempt and build their lives as long as they live in tents and they have to shiver at night and in the morning they become productive and somehow try to pull themselves out of the situation they are in. We need to look at further shelter opportunities. I think this earthquake can also serve as an opportunity for humanitarians and also for UN officials to reconsider their shelter approach. Because unless we are going to make this better for good, we first should start from putting people in safe places where they can have warm nights and they can sleep in safety. So in the morning, we can expect them to do more and further contribute to improvement in the area. So the first thing they need is shelter. But the good thing is in the area now, at least temporarily, at least for the time being, we have being distributed. But these are all limited to whatever stocks that the NGOs had. It will run out and it will run out soon, seeing the situation. How soon is it before stocks might run out and people will go hungry again? It is really hard to measure this with days or hours. But the good thing is before it runs out, now we have this news of two border crossing and the UN food trucks are coming in. But this is also somewhat dependent on the situation at the border at Turkey. The Turkish government is taking people who are outside to dormitories and to other cities further up north of Turkey, meaning that now there is now more options as long as funds are available for humanitarians and the UN to somehow establish the supply chain of food items for Syria. But food is available, but shelter is actually not that easy to solve, whether it is tents or other options, it takes time. It requires a systematic approach, more medium-term approach, and we should definitely focus on the strong, sustainable shelter options and take it from there further to schools and to medical items. Something that actually I should definitely mention, the medical items is another issue along with medicine. These are the following items after the food because obviously many people have been affected for many years and now with the earthquake, the situation is worse. Hygiene problems will come out and this will be followed by infections. To summarize what is urgently needed as priority, right now shelters, but then food, medical items, and consumables continue, along with which we will come in the second phase is school and further rehabilitation of children and adults because of what they have been through. Okay, and a final question. Are there still some areas where aid is not reaching people in distress in Syria? After many years of the civil war, the NGO somehow can cover almost all areas in northwest Syria, but the amount, it's not actually whether reaching there or not, reaching there with the right amount, sufficient amount, we can definitely say that no area in North Northwest Syria is receiving sufficient amount of aid right now in this particular moment. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Abayt Sakin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. This episode was co-produced by Khalid Sultan and our intern Nada Shakir. Sound design is by George Elwir. Our sound engineer is Michel Boudagher. Our engagement producer is A.L. Malik and our assistant engagement producer is Munira Dosari. And of course, our big boss, the executive producer Omar Saleh, and head of audio is Ney Alvarez. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. For now, it's goodbye. <laughs>